This episode is sponsored by Bow Lake, the most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Visit bowlake.com and learn more. That's B-E-A-U lake.com. Bow is French for beautiful. B-E-A-U lake.com. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. After a year of heavy losses, the travel industry is finally showing some signs of bouncing back, even as the emergence of the COVID-19 Omicron variant has led some countries to tighten their borders again. After a dismal 2020, there are hopeful and positive signs for luxury travel too. Increased vacation rates, pent-up demand, and a savings glut from high earners helped spur demand for global luxury travel through 2021 as nationwide lockdowns eased and countries rolled back border restrictions. Other data also hint that higher-end hotels will claw back pricing power in the next year or two, from an uptick in the percentage of room nights spent in luxury hotel chains to increased bookings at the most expensive tier of hotels. These and other forward-looking indicators hopefully point to a very successful luxury travel season in the year ahead. My guest today on The Luxury Item to talk about the recovery of luxury travel and what lies ahead is Shannon Knapp, President and Chief Executive Officer at the leading hotels of the world. With more than 20 years of experience, Shannon became the President and Chief Executive Officer of Leading Hotels in 2019. She previously served as Leading Hotels Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for five years. Prior to that, she spent 15 years at American Express, most recently as Vice President of Marketing for American Express Travel. Shannon was also recently honored by Luxury Daily as one of the luxury women to watch in 2022. Welcome to the Luxury Item, Shannon. Thank you so much, Scott. I'm so thrilled to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for joining me. You know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal in late November about the possibility of New York City's challenged hotel business getting a boost from the holiday season. And actually, you were quoted in that, in that article saying, right now, I'm feeling good about where we are for the holidays. So let's fast forward to today. So how did it all turn out? How are the bookings over the holidays? Yeah, well, you know, I always, um, I, with what I have learned from COVID is that you should always qualify your answer. So I said, <laughs> right now. Um, but the good news is that that demand didn't materialize. Um, we saw uh, quite an uptick in New York City holiday volume in terms of uh, year over year. We were over 500% up mm, in revenue wow. to, in, over 2020. And I think, you know, obviously 2020 being a bizarre year, if you look at that relative to 2019, we were only down 10% to 2019. So we did, right then I was optimistic about how New York City holiday business was going to go and and it, it actually did uh, come to fruition, which was fantastic. So when the Omicron variant hit, was there like a sense of, well, here we go again? <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, I think we all in the travel business felt like we were through this in some way, shape or form because we obviously had endured a terrible 2020. Um, but by you know mid 2020, business was starting to pick up, and and certainly uh, we were seeing great momentum in mid year 2021. And so to have yet another um, kind of knockdown was was very challenging. But the exciting you know thing is, especially for leading hotels and our guests, they want to travel. Travel is not what they do; it's who they are. And so we didn't see 
a, a significant um, drop in either booking production or in, in, in consumed business in terms of actual travel business. So um, while it, I think when it initially happened, we all kind of took a, a bit of a, a, you know, we sighed and we all kind of dropped our shoulders a bit. I think what was really inspiring was watching these, our travelers just keep, keep, you know, keep on keeping on, so to speak. I want to talk about the leading hotels of the world. It's a membership-based hotel chain, meaning right. that it does not own any of its hotels, but it serves a portfolio of individually branded hotels. I think 90% are family-owned and independently managed. Can you explain what the business model is behind the leading hotels of the world? Absolutely. It is a really interesting model. And thank you, Scott, for acknowledging we don't own or operate or franchise hotels. That's not what leading hotels do. Um, but we are rather a curated collection of more than 400 of the best independent luxury hotels in the world. So hotels like La Mamunia in Marrakesh or mm -hmm. Nayara Tented Camp in Costa Rica or the Ritz Paris in France, Le Cernus in Positano, you get the, the picture. Um, over 80% of our members are family led, 90% plus are independent, truly independent and 100%. And this is important. 100% of our hotels are truly five-star luxury. We're, we're the only pure play luxury choice for independent hotels that want to be positioned among the best luxury hotels in the world. Now, what's interesting about our model is that we're owned by our member hotels. We were created by hoteliers for hoteliers over 90 years ago. And our mission is to connect and empower hoteliers to achieve the commercial success necessary to enable them to make the choice to stay independent. So what's interesting is that our, um, our shareholders do not accept dividends on their investment in leading hotels, but rather they have chosen to invest their dividends into the operations of the company to ensure the continued success of the 400 independent luxury hotels that are in the community, as well as I would say the continued vitality of this very unique segment of hospitality. So how do you go about accepting new member hotels into the collection? What are the most important brand standards that you look for? It's a great question. Obviously, our priority is to curate the most exclusive collection of independent luxury hotels in the world. And there's really three ways that we identify hotels that might be a good fit. The first is recommendations or referrals from current members, which makes up a vast majority of our membership. The second is through direct inquiry. So hotels who come to us interested in membership. And the third is proactive development efforts that my team does to identify hotels that we believe uh, would should be a part of leading hotels. We vet over about 500 inquiries a year, and that volume has remained pretty consistent even throughout the pandemic. And we accept about 5% plus or minus a year of those um, hotels that inquire. So there are five key attributes that we evaluate when we're doing this vetting process. And it really, there's, it starts with kind of the people side of it. So who, what, is, what type of owner do you have? Is it a, an individual, a corporation, a REIT, or private equity? Um, and what's the level of independence of the hotel? Um, leading hotels is designed for independent hotels, but it's not at the exclusion of other hotels if they are willing to abide by um, the membership requirements that we have. Uh, of course, they, can, they have to be of the highest quality, five-star standards. And the last two attributes that we evaluate are really around what market is the hotel located in? Obviously, a new destination or destinations with unmet demand are very attractive to us. And um, the second piece is whether that hotel is, is truly emblematic of leading hotels. Do they have a story to tell? You know, is it history, architecture, extraordinary food and beverage concepts, um, something that makes the hotel truly remarkably uncommon? So what kind of fees or other investments do these independent hotels have to make to be a member of leading hotels? There's 
two pieces to that answer. The first is obviously from a quantitative perspective, of course, they have to pay a membership fee uh, that's invested 100% in the operations of the business to support our member hotels. No one's lining their pockets with profit. Uh, they also would pay a la carte for participation at completely at their discretion in various events, so sales events around the world or um, Leaders Club events, which is our loyalty program, you know, with actual Leaders Club members, so, but those are completely at their discretion. And then there's a small amount of investment um, on a reservation level to support and deliver the Leaders Club benefits. But really, there's another side of this, and it's on the qualitative side. They have to invest their time, right? Engagement with leading hotels um, and their fellow members is where they really maximize the benefit of their membership. I, I think of it almost as a gym. I could join a gym, um, but if I don't go and I don't avail myself of the services of the gym, I'm not going to maximize the benefit of that membership. And the same thing is, is the case for leading hotels. Besides tapping into your marketing power, what do they gain by being part of the portfolio? So independent hoteliers gain access to a globally recognized luxury brand and extensive global sales, marketing, and distribution expertise to empower their success, while also being able to retain and preserve their distinct DNA and independence. We provide solutions that support revenue generation for the hotels, uh, while also creating long-term competitive advantage for them in their market. But, it, but that would be difficult for them to do themselves. So think about it, for example, our Leaders Club program. If you're an independent hotel in the middle of the Swiss Alps, it's, you know, you have your, your, your guest base, but when you join leading hotels, you have access to over 400 uh, other hotels who can contribute to your customer acquisition and your red revenue generation through the Leaders Club platform. We also um, have programs like group purchasing. So again, leveraging the buying power over 400 independent luxury hotels is a tremendous advantage for an individual hotel. We also have strategic relationships with the most influential leisure and corporate travel clients around the world. And we support our members by offering our expertise in areas such as digital marketing and distribution to help them increase their revenue, the profitability of the revenue coming in. Um, and we try and expand the value that we can deliver to them beyond just revenue generation, but how can we uh, lend our expertise to support their success? And because we, we really believe that independent hotels who can establish and maintain strong positions in their markets are able to control their own destiny, right? They're able to choose to stay independent. And that's really what we are here to do. That's our mission. Has there ever been a time where you had to actually kick a, um, <laughs> a hotel out of the portfolio because it wasn't living up to standards? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is a membership community. And if you're not pulling your weight, if you're only taking from the membership, it's, it's not good for anybody. So yes, we've, we've certainly been in the position, whether that's for quality, you know, they're not maintaining their five-star standard or um, level of engagement certainly is a, is a consideration as well. So unfortunately, it's certainly not our desire, right? Our desire is to work with our members to try and um, counsel them, to support them. Um, but when, when it's necessary, yes, we, we certainly have done that. Uh, does the United States generate the most of uh, your global revenue? It does. And the story of leading hotels is that we were established in 1928 by 38 forward-looking European hoteliers who decided it would make sense for them to pull the pool their resources to attract luxury tra travelers from this new emerging market called the United States. Um, so not surprisingly, 90 years later, uh, almost 50% of our customers and revenue was actually generated from US travelers. What's two and three? Uh, the UK and new in 2021, Switzerland, actually. 
Wow. Switzerland has moved up the list. Uh, they were five or six, historically five or six in, in terms of the, the our market size, but they um, had an extraordinary uh, year in 2021. And frankly, the second half of 2020 was very strong for them as well. Are you seeing any other countries that are showing some surging growth that you'll keep your eye on for 2022? I think what's been really tremendous to see in 2021 is how many countries, many travelers within Europe really adopted the luxury is local uh, approach to traveling. I think 2020 people were holding out to be able to take their international trips, their long haul trips. In 2021, we really saw a big uptick in not only domestic travel amongst Europeans, so Italy for Italy, you know, um, France for France, but also close regional travel. So I think as a, a geographic region for me, Europe is really they're, they're closest to recovering um, to 2019 levels. If I look across kind of the Americas, Europe and Asia, they're um, almost, I think they're about minus 10% to 2019. So they're really, um, I, I'm kind of watching Europe in general because it's been tremendous to see some of these new travel patterns being created as a result, you know, silver lining as a result of uh, what we've experienced over the last couple of years. And what's the mix of resorts versus city hotels? We are roughly 50-50, so we, which has been great in, you know, over the last two years with uh, the challenges that some of the cities have had uh, with the loss of corporate travel and um, the just the people wanting space and, and um, uh, distance. Uh, we, so being 50-50 in terms of resort versus city has been a, a great advantage, although we are seeing a nice rebound in our, in our city hotels. They're starting to, as I mentioned earlier with New York, we're starting to see nice um, uh, rebound in, in cities as well. It's a really interesting marketplace right now. It seems like everybody wants to get into the luxury hotel business. <laughs> you have these chain affiliations that have been on the rise. The competition is fierce there. And yeah. then you have the soft brand phenomena too. How do you uniquely position the leading hotels of the world to potential member hotels, especially in this, in this crowded space? And how has the soft brands phenomena impacted your business? Yeah, it is a great question, Scott. And I think this is one of the things certainly that keeps us busy here at Leading Hotels. I think what we have seen and, and what Leading Hotels, I think, has been uniquely positioned for for many years is this growth of consumer demand for ever more authentic and tailored experiences. That phenomenon started well before COVID. And quite frankly, it has actually accelerated um, this shift away from, from travelers um, no longer looking for sameness and uniformity, but rather really wanting to, to immerse themselves and learn and, and, and experiencing a, a culture. So this phenomenon has been happening for a while, but it's certainly been accelerated. So not surprisingly, there's greater appreciation for investment in this, in this area. Um, and I think you see that in an example in the 2025 hotel development report, which is a couple of years old at this point, but at that point, 80% of the rooms in the pipeline in the US were under six parent companies. And uh, at the end of 2018, hotel guest room supply for the total US rose 2%, while soft brands increased their room count 32%, right? Wow. So, so this is the area that everybody is investing in. They see it as a huge opportunity because frankly, that's what consumers are looking for. The first thing I would say in terms of how we position ourselves uh, to potential uh, hotel owners is, LHW is not for everybody. We are for the right owner, for the right owner who wants to retain their distinct DNA. 
They want to maintain their independence and not be limited by brand standards and controls that have a negative impact on their vision for their for their property. We can offer the best alternative to them by providing access to globally to this globally recognized brand. Um, we have an extensive global sales um, force in 20 plus countries around the world. We have outstanding marketing and distribution expertise that can help empower their revenue generation and prop profitability. We have solutions to support their revenue generation. You know, I mentioned earlier our loyalty program, our group purchasing, the relationships that we have, um, and then the expertise that we can deliver. And not surprisingly, we're not a unit growth company. So we're not out there aggressively trying to add hotels to the portfolio. We really wanna find the right owners and the right assets that we believe can benefit from the services that we've designed and deliver. And it also seems that Airbnb is jumping into the game here with their high-end rentals. They're attracting customers who live like a local and might yeah. otherwise choose an independent hotel. So how does leading hotels overcome this challenge? I think this is something that is, is very, um, certainly we're naive. We would be naive to think that luxury travelers are monolithic, right? Within every traveler, there are multiple personas that changed based on the circumstances. Take me as an example. Sometimes I'm a solo business traveler. Sometimes I'm a family traveler. Sometimes I'm traveling with friends. And in each of those circumstances, I'm looking for something different. So luxury travelers have always split their wallet and they will continue to do so. And so for some trips, it'll make sense for them to rent a home and others, they'll want to stay at a hotel because they want to avail themselves of the services that come. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with that said, leading has been helping travelers live like locals for 90 plus years. You know, as I mentioned earlier, about 80% of our members are family led. So travelers have been welcomed by generations of families like the Schertz family in Stad, um, the Gertler family in Vienna, uh, the Fessler family in Sonnenalp. So the, the, Gambardella family in, in, in Santa Catarina, or the Worth family in Hasla Roma. I think the point is this list could go on and on, but our hoteliers know the best restaurants, shops, bars, experiences in their destinations because in many places, these destinations have grown up around them, right? They've been there for generations and many of their staff have been there for generations. So they have longstanding relationships with artisans and merchants in the destination, and they can create uniquely local experiences that create these story worthy moments that make travelers want to return. So I appreciate Airbnb's positioning of live like a local, but they don't they don't uh, corner that market. I think we leading hotels are very well positioned to deliver on that and more. And as I said, we've been doing it for 90 years. Um, so it's something that we love. And we love the stories that come out of, you know, being family led, being a family led organization. It's just it's the stories that you hear from from, you know, sixth generation proprietor of some of these hotels and, and how that destination has developed over time. It's just really it's quite phenomenal. And from a customer standpoint, it seems the clear demarcation between a chain and an independent hotel has pretty much eroded. You know, when a <laughs> guest walks into one of your member hotels, is it apparent to them that it's powered in the back by leading hotels? It's a great question because this is a, a very delicate, delicate dance that, that we do. So as I mentioned, our mission is to empower the success of independent luxury hotels. And by definition, that means that we want the brand of each individual hotel to thrive. Mm -hmm. But of course, access to a globally recognized luxury hospitality brand is one of the main reasons why members join and stay. So we have this delicate balance, you know, but a brand is essentially a promise to the guests, right? That they can expect a certain kind of experience. So it is important to us to link 
the extraordinary stay experience that a, that a guest will have at one of our hotels to the broader community so that when they're traveling to a different destination, they're going to think that, hey, I had an extraordinary experience in you know, Positano at La Serenusa. Um, when I'm going to New York, is there another leading hotel there? So the role that the brand plays in terms of linking the experience and creating opportunity for independent luxury travelers to um, find hotels like the one where they had that that extraordinary state, that's what we aspire to do. So it comes through in in subtle ways in the physical manifestation on property. You'll see things like the plaque, you'll see things like the flag, sometimes a video, the directory. But really what we focus on is that experience. How can you link that experience of one stay in one extraordinary hotel and turn that into a repeat stay at another leading hotel? Um, in another destination. And um, I think it's, it is a delicate balance and we do need to connect that experience for the traveler, but we also want our hotels brands to thrive as well. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Shannon Knapp. beautiful paddle boards in the world. Bow Lake. The water is calling. We're back with more from Shannon Knapp. There are several channels for booking your hotels. There's <laughs> direct with customers calling the hotel or booking yeah. on their websites. You can book right through leading hotels, gateway online. Have you seen any shifts in how customers are booking your independent hotels? Yes, for sure, especially over the last two years. The, because the trips have been relatively local, have been relatively short, um, the ability for guests to, to drive to the, their destination, we've seen an increase in the amount of direct booking. So booking at the hotel via, usually via the website, but certainly via phone as well. Mm -hmm. So we're known for a long, we're a long haul brand. A lot of what the, the, a lot of the historic travel has been US to Europe. And a lot of that is often done through travel advisors, but because of the phenomenon of domestic and local travel in the last two years, that direct booking channel, we've seen a pretty big uh, increase, but that being said, the travel community, the travel advisor community is still a vital part of the booking experience for our members. They've become a bit of a clearinghouse for information over the last couple of years. They've kind of shifted um, uh, to having to stay up on, and it's a very challenging job, but staying up on, you know, um, requirements for entry, uh, you know, who's opening and closing their borders and, and working with their, their guests or their customers to figure all of that out. So, so we have found while the direct booking phenomenon certainly has increased we've found that the value of the transactions being made through travel advisors and through our own voice channel um, is actually higher in some cases through that consultation and, and through that support so uh, i do anticipate we'll see a bit of a return not a complete return to kind of the old channel mix but i i do anticipate we will see a shift a little bit down from the direct bookings as uh, yes go further afield and start working. They want to speak to somebody, they want to consult, they want to really understand what's happening. Uh, I suspect we'll start to see that moderate a little bit closer to 2019 levels as we move through, hopefully, post-COVID post, post -COVID, uh, times. 
and you took over as president and CEO of the leading hotels <laughs> of the world in late 2019, right before the pandemic hit. It's interesting. I've spoken to a lot of CEOs on this show who ironically have took over in that, in that role right before the pandemic. It seems like a pattern. Few industries turned upside down as much as yours with luxury hotels challenged in ways that others were not. So what did you learn about getting through this moment of history? I learned that I have impeccable timing. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, of course, you know, the last two years have been filled with extraordinarily, extraordinarily difficult and and it's been unfathomable in the, in the challenges, the heartbreak, the frustrations. But honestly, I would say I learned more as a leader in these last two years than I feel like I could have learned in, in 10 quote unquote normal years. Right. I, I really did. I learned to get very comfortable very quickly making critically important decisions with imperfect information. Uh, I, I learned the effective, uh, that effective discipline around prioritization and clarity of focus, especially in times of disruption, can lead to extraordinary outcomes. Um, I, I think we all learned you don't have to be in the office from nine to five every day to be successful, right? I think there's probably the, the thing that struck me the most is, especially in the darkest times of, of the crisis, was that if you have built a team that believes in your mission and is passionate about what you do, you can really achieve extraordinary outcomes in seemingly impossible circumstances. And, and I would say, you know, as I look back, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of my team, what they were able to do during the most difficult of times, the innovation, the creativity, the collaboration, it was truly, it was rewarding and it was inspirational to see. And we needed that during such a dark time. In September, the Leading Hotels released its inaugural Lux Report, which explores the state of luxury hospitality through the eyes of your travel customers. What are some of the trends that emerged from that study that stood out for you the most? Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned one or two of them, but just to, it, it bears repeating that I think the luxury is local phenomenon. I think we've always known that luxury is local for the luxury, for, for the luxury traveler, but what that meant was international travelers going to a new destination and, and experiencing it for the first time. But what we've seen um, throughout COVID is this concept that local travelers have awakened to and are exploring the beauty of their own countries and regions in ways that they never had before. And we saw that through our own bookings. Uh, the re our bookings were up significantly, double digits, I think over 60% since 2019 in terms of leading travelers booking within their own regions. So that's been a really interesting phenomenon that I do believe will continue to some extent, even when long haul opens back up. Obviously, leisure leads the way. It has always led the way. Um, certainly since March of 2020, the vast majority of our bookings have been for leisure travel, um, weekend trips, close-in trips, all of those things. And I think the last one that um, is, again, not, not rocket science considering what we've, we've been through, but really this, this desire for fresh air, open spaces, privacy, not being around other travelers. You know, we saw a, an increase of, of two times for demand in beach, countryside, lakeside, mountain destinations. Um, and we, see, we saw almost 100% increase in villa and suite bookings, right? So, so people really wanted to have space um, while they quarantined or while they were um, away from, from others. So uh, we saw, and that was fantastic in terms of driving the ADR for our business in terms of people booking higher uh, room categories. 
Now, I don't know if the study that you did covered millennials or not, but we're seeing that wealthy millennials and Gen Z will contribute to the largest luxury market growth in the next few years. Gen Z will account for like 40% of the global personal luxury goods by 2035. And these segments are set to drive the post-pandemic luxury travel boom. Mm -hmm. How is leading hotels speaking to this market? It's a great question. And I, I get this question a lot. And I think the way that I... I think about it is well, we the traveler that we target is a curious traveler, a traveler who um, wants to experience new destinations, who has uh, a desire for authenticity, and that what we have seen through our research that spans demographics. It's not a uniquely baby boomer generation, Gen X, Gen Z. This mentality, this attitude of travel is something that we find across all demographics. So we continue to appeal to the attitudinal desires of that curious traveler. Um, Certainly, Gen Z and millennials, uh, I think, experience um, advertising and marketing differently. It's not, you know, in the the old days, whether, you know, we we created uh, collateral and and those sorts of things. Certainly, that's not going to appeal to today's younger luxury traveler. So social media, you know, influencer marketing, investing in our our website and the experiences is certainly a very important part of how do you get to those travelers, but focusing on the stories of our members, the unique and authentic experiences that you can have at one of our hotels. That's what I think appeals to this curious traveler mindset. So making sure that we're drawing out what's truly unique and what the stories of our members are and making sure that we're getting that uh, to the traveler in a way that um, resonates with them in a channel that resonates with them. But I think that if you focus on the interest versus the demo, I think that's really where we aspire and continue to invest. The definition of luxury is evolving. And one of the things we're seeing is a shift away from opulence and pampering and more towards authentic and meaningful experience experiences. How is Leading Hotels and its members responding to these consumer shifts? It's it's wonderful for us, I think, because this is something that we have built the business on over the last 90 years. So uh, certainly we have the traditional palace hotels and, and all of that. But this idea of experiential travel, this idea of um, experiencing something that will enrich you as a, as a person in the long run. This is something that our hotels have been doing for many, many years. So it's not a, we, we, we haven't had to adjust in order to do this. We are simply making sure that we're telling the stories of our members. We're, we're making sure that we are reaching travelers in a way that's, that's relevant to them. But at the end of the day, I, I feel that leading hotels is uniquely positioned for this increase in demand for authentic and tailored experiences, because it's something we've been doing for many, many years. What does loyalty mean? Because I know you have a loyalty program, you mentioned mm-hmm. it before, you know, with consumers shifting their values, do you think the definition has changed of what loyalty means? Is the leading hotels responding to things like that? I, you know, I do. I think we've all seen the research about um, consumers trying new brands throughout the pandemic and experiencing um, you know, trying different things. And so I think it's important that we remember with loyalty is you have to earn it every day. Consumers, travelers are not, um, they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt uh, forever. And I think that we have to keep in mind that every interaction that we have with a traveler is an opportunity to build 
loyalty. So certainly we have a loyalty program and it's phenomenal and uh, it, it helps to enhance the experience for our, our Leaders Club members when they're staying on property. It helps connect them globally to other uh, hotels and other Leaders Club members. Um, but loyalty is not a, a program. Loyalty, I think, is really driven by the experiences that they have at our hotels and their desire the next time they travel to want to have a similar experience, an authentic experience, an experience where they're uh, creating a story worthy moment that they can take back and will remember forever. So for me, I, I really do feel like loyalty is not a given. Loyalty is a two way conversation. It's a relationship. Um, and we have the opportunity to develop and build loyalty through every interaction we have with the guest. And certainly on property, they are on the leading edge, no pun intended, of creating those moments and 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 ensuring that loyalty for the long term, not only to their hotel, but to leading hotels as a collection. Prior to the pandemic, travel and tourism was one of the fastest growing sectors in the world economy, making up about 10% of the global GDP. Yeah. Yet, producing 11% of global greenhouse gases in 2019. What is the leading hotels doing to further advance sustainability within its member hotels? I, I thank you, Scott, for asking this question. I think COVID has, has been a really debilitating experience for those of us in hospitality, but there were silver linings that came out of it. And I do think the focus, the serious focus on sustainability is one of the things that has come out of COVID that I think is going to be a, a tremendous long-term benefit. So luxury travelers expect hotels now. They expect the hotels that they're staying in to do their part to be a responsible global citizen. And they're going to start to choose hotels based on their commitment to sustainability. Mm -hmm. We surveyed our guests and nearly half of them say that sustainability is an important differentiator to them when researching hotels. And 20% of them said they were willing to book more expensive hotels if it had a better sustainability practice. So we are really trying to celebrate our hotels who are, are leading with a purpose from supporting their local communities and reducing their carbon footprint to prioritizing environmental protection. So we're actually currently developing a strategy built around the key UN sustainability development goals mm -hmm. that will be utilized both at the brand level with leading hotels, as well as tailored for our individual hotels um, at, the, at the individual level. So we're very excited about that. Um, we actually just unveiled an inaugural sustainability leader award at our annual convention in November. Um, and Sal Lorenzo de Baracal was the winner. They, 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 mm. had this, they have a tremendous commitment to responsible travel, prioritizing environmental protection, incorporating locally supportive practices into their holistic uh, hospitality experience. And so this is something that as an organization, both corporate as well as at the hotel, individual hotel level, we are very eager and active in making sure that we are doing our part to be a responsible global citizen. Take a trip with me for a second into the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, interest in the metaverse has exploded as the mix of virtual worlds and other internet technologies rapidly gain consumer uptake and investor interest. What exactly the metaverse is remains a bit of a moving and growing target. So is the leading hotels thinking about building a presence within the metaverse? I would never say never. It's not something that, I, that leading hotels is focused on at this moment in time, but I think we can recognize that the future is, the, the metaverse is going to be a part of our future and it's going to be a, a way that people interact with brands and experiences. So at this time, no, but certainly I would never say never. I think we have to be um, 
we have to be aware of and 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 uh, actively considering how this metaverse uh, phenomenon will affect how people travel, how they experience travel, how they uh, learn about travel. So not at the moment, but we'll see, Scott. You know, what opportunities do you see ahead for the luxury hospitality industry? Oh, I think there's uh, quite a bit that we have learned over these last couple of years. And I, I think one of the things, you know, one of the things that I would love to see across hospitality, we're a very fragmented industry. And I think, you know, if you look at, for example, the U.S. Um, airline industries, there's I don't know, four or five of them, five, six of them, it's a small number. But if you look at the hospitality um, space, we have 40, 50, 60 different uh, hotel brands, um, companies, even companies. And if you look at the brands, it's, it's hundreds. We're very, very fragmented. And I think that kind of hurt us as we went through this crisis in terms of our ability to really lobby on behalf of our employees and workers in terms of getting support for our members, um, sorry, our employees. So I, I think one of the things I would love to see coming out of COVID for, for hospitality in general is that we work together more mm-hmm. for the benefit of obviously our guests, but certainly our employees and, and, and our owners. Um, because I think as, as fragmented as we are right now, it, 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 it's a challenge for us. And I think COVID really highlighted that. And how do you see the leading hotels of the world brand evolving? Are there profiles of hotels in your portfolio that are changing? It's interesting. I think um, leading hotels, as I mentioned, is a pure play five-star brand. And what we're seeing in the macro environment that is starting to impact leading hotels is this trend towards smaller and smaller hotels. So it's been interesting over the last couple of years to look at the new hotels that we welcome. And, and we probably welcome around 25, 30 new members every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to be smaller. Uh, which is really interesting. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to focus on is partnering with the right hotels that we believe we can successfully serve. Independent, in some cases, family-led, but always luxury. Um, We're also really targeting some markets, for example, the US, China, South America, where we know we have significant unmet demand, where we're capturing their long-haul travel from these guests, but we are missing out on on some of their domestic and regional travel. So that's a big area of focus for us going forward in terms of a geographic focus. Um, and we're investing significantly in kind of increasing our proactive membership development uh, in these markets to make sure that we can continue to um, capture the the domestic regional travel of, of those guests that we already have their long haul travel. They already know and love leading hotels. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to capture some more of their local travel. How many new members do you see uh, coming in for 2022 in the pipeline? Um, every year, we're, like I mentioned, we're pretty consistent in terms of the number of leads that we go, that we vet. So it's, you know, about 500 plus or minus five to 600 mm. every year. We accept about 5% of those. Um, so, you know, usually we welcome somewhere between 25, 30 members every year. Uh, 20, this past year, 2021, we welcomed actually 25 members. We had new builds in uh, the J Hotel in Shanghai, um, the Newbury in Boston. Uh, we had great iconic additions to, to, the hotel, to, to our portfolio um, in terms of Borgo Santo Pietro in Italy. So this year, I would expect that we'll see a very similar class, if you will, um, about, of about 25 members or so, where we have some openings in new destinations. So we are getting back into Australia, which I'm very excited about with the Jackalope, which is a 
great property. Um, we're getting back into Casablanca uh, with the Royal Mansour, um, actually renovating this property. It was a leading hotel back in the 70s and 80s, I think. And they've, uh, Royal Mansour has taken it over, is renovating it to its uh, original beauty. And it's, it's rejoining leading hotels, which is a fantastic story. Uh, we have uh, Glen Eagles is opening the townhouse in Edinburgh, which is fantastic. We're in a new market in California, Carmel by the Sea, with this beautiful little gem um, in Carmel. So, so we're excited about that. We also have hotels in Turks and Caicos. The Rock House is opening this year. The Fifth Avenue Hotel in New York is opening this year. So, a lot of new and exciting openings and additions to the portfolio, which we, you know, obviously that breathes life into um, into our story when we have new stories to tell and we can um, highlight new destinations and, and extraordinary gems. So my final question, Shannon, which I ask all my guests is the luxury item question. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation or anything that requires mobile service. It's just you, sand, a few palm trees, surrounded, completely surrounded by water. What would that one luxury item you would like to have with you? I would love to have one of the beds fully made up from one of our amazing hotels around the world, planted right there on the beach, so I can sink into it, look out at the sea, and uh, get some good sleep despite being stranded on a desert island. Thanks. Shannon Knapp, President and Chief Executive Officer at the Leading Hotels of the World. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you, Scott. It's been great to speak with you. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.